Kathy. Okay, today we're going to be um, talking about, um, my title is Beware of Your Traditions. Beware of Your Traditions. So um, we're going to start in Colossians 2, in, um, starting in verse 8. And um, the Apostle Paul says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So right here from this verse, you can see that there is a definite dichotomy between the traditions of men and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they they work on opposite. Um, and so and he, Jesus brings us up in the Gospels as well. So this is what we're going to look at, how the traditions of men conflict with the gospel of Jesus, and what do we do when we're confronted, when our own traditions are confronted? Um, all right. Oh, I gotta pray. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me today. <laughs> Thank you for your word, that your word is life, and it brings understanding to the simple. And Father God, we open up our hearts to you today, to the light of your word, Lord God, to come and light every dark area, Father God. We just release our cares and our concerns, our anxieties onto you. We cast our cares upon you because we know that you care for us. And Father, we thank you to feed your people with manna from heaven today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at um, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem saw um, came from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So, And now Mark gives a little explanation. In verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they have many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So how'd you like to have a dining couch? <laughs> so, so they have a tradition of making sure all these things are washed in a ceremonial tradition. So the Pharisees observed that the disciples didn't do this ceremonial washing. So the Pharisees came to Jesus. You're going to ask Jesus about it. So he said, and he asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to him, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me, this people honors me with their lips, but with their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the traditions of men. And they, you leave the commandment of God and hold to, to the traditions of men. So they teach as doctrine the commandments of men, and they leave the commandment of God and hold to, to the traditions of men. So they're leaving the commandment of God. And then he continues in verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But I say, to, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many in many things you do this. So so here's the scenario. So 
there was a there was a commandment to honor your father and mother and so the jews they would take care of their parents you know when they were elderly they would make sure that they were cared for into their old age you know until until they went to heaven and but there was a tradition that got passed down that said if you if that money that you would have given to your your parents you pledge it to the church and then that way you don't have to give it to your parents. So it was like, you say it's, it's donated to God instead, and that will alleviate you of your obligation. Um, let's take a look at it in the message translation in verse 9. He went on, well, good for you. <laughs> I love the message translation. He said, well, good for you. You get rid of God's commandment so you won't be inconvenienced to follow the religious fa- in following the religious fashions. Moses said, respect your father and mother, and anyone denouncing father and mother should be killed. But you weasel out of that saying, and it's perfectly acceptable to say to your father and mother, gift, what I owed to you, I gave as a gift to God, thus relieving yourself from the obligation to your father and mother. You scratch out God's word with a scrawl and a whim in its place. You do this with a lot of things. So you think about how powerful God's word is. God spoke and the words, world was created, right? He, his words are life and health to all of our flesh. His word is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it defines soul and spirit. It, it um, says in Isaiah that my word never returns void of completion. If I send it, it's going to accomplish what it sets out to do. But here in verse 13, Jesus is telling, telling the Pharisees that you're making the word of God powerless because of your tradition. That's what tradition has the power to, to do. It, it, it has the power to make God's word powerless in your life. So how is it possible that tradition makes God's word powerless? Let's take a look at what tradition is. If you look, um, you you don't have to look. We're not going to the word just yet. We're um, in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, Tradition is defined as the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation or the fact of being passed on. So you're doing this by tradition. You're sending this by tradition. Another, I thought this was very interesting. In the Oxford Dictionary, their second definition of tradition is a doctrine believed to have divine authority, although it's not found in Scripture. So they they actually defined it. It seemed to have some kind of divine authority, but it's not in the Word. Okay? Um, Strong's Dictionary, the in the Bible Dictionary, the word tradition, the first definition is the act of giving up or surrender, um, like you're surrendering of a city. So it implies that you're being taken captive. So when the city is captured and it gives up, that's the same word for tradition. And um, so I just think it's kind of interesting that a tradition has the power to capture you, hold you prisoner. Um, Another word is giving over, uh, a giving over which is done by word of mouth, writing, or instruction. So if I give something to you and you pass it on to the next person, you give it, and that's a tradition. So sometimes traditions are taught. Sometimes traditions are held, like we just, we uh, assume them by being around other people who act like that. You kind of pick up their, their patterns and habits. And sometimes they're handed down from generation to generation. Um, when I think of tradition, have have you all heard the story of the pot roast? Have you ever heard the story of the pot roast? Okay, so I'll read you. Yes, yeah, see, there you go. 
All right, so the story of the pot roast. So Mary was hosting a dinner party for her friends, and she served a delicious pot roast. One of her guests, Sarah, enjoyed it so much that she asked for the recipe. So Mary wrote it down for her. And when she looked at the recipe, Sarah asked her, why do you cut off both ends of the pot roast before you prepare it? And Mary replied, I don't know. I cut off the ends. I learned the recipe from my mom, and that's what she did. And um, so Sarah Sarah's question started um, bugging Mary, so she went ahead and asked her mom, I made the pot roast. I was just wondering, why do we cut off the ends of that pot roast, you know, before we season it and put it in the pan? And her mom quickly said, that's the way your grandmother did it, and I learned it from her. So then so Mary went to Grandma, and she said, she called her and asked her the same question. Grandma and I, I, I make the pot roast. I learned from my mom that she learned from you. Why do we cut off the ends of the pot roast? And Grandma thought for a minute, and it had been a while since she made the pot roast. She said, oh, I remember. I cut it off because the roast was over, always bigger than the pan I had. <laughs> so I cut off the ends to make it fit. So, you know, so sometimes it made sense for Grandma <laughs> to cut off the ends of the pot roast, but it didn't make sense for Mary to keep cutting off the ends and wasting all that meat. So sometimes we've picked up a, hap- a habit or pattern of doing things because it's just that's just the way we do it. And that's an example of a tradition. So tradition can be a method, a method of doing things like a habit or routine. It could be a mindset. Um, a belief system, it could be like an inner vow, um, or a memory. So it's a method, a mindset, or a memory, or something that we memorial, more memorialize. Um, it's not always something from a long time ago, like from generation to generation. It could be something recent that, um, uh, like a victory that you picked up along the way. Like, for example, that, let's say, I'll tell you, um, in my own testimony, I had a situation where um, I was, I was believing God for more money at a job. And I was, you know, thanking God from, for my raise and for my raise. And in the back of my mind, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to start tithing according to what I wanted. You know, so I was making $8 an hour and I wanted 12. So I, so I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, if you tithe for 12, you'll be able to get 12. And it was just kind of like, huh, that's interesting. That probably would work. And I sat on it for like a year. And I finally did it. And it was like, boom, it was like within a week I got I got my raise and more than what I was looking for. So I got all excited. I gave my testimony at church. There's a, a couple at church. They started doing it. They got the same results. Well, then, you know, and so there's a testimony of Jesus that's a spirit of prophecy. They can pick up on that faith that I had to do it. But then few years later when I wanted another raise, I just, I didn't ask God about it. I just went ahead and did my thing because I thought I had this, this little (laughs) magic key to unlock it. And it didn't work the same way, you know, because there was something, there was a different strategy that God had me, had for me in that situation. So instead of just rejoicing and the fact that what my success was, was not the method that I used, but the fact that I listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I needed to continue to do is listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, not say, okay, we'll just do this rhythm, and now I've got a list of things that I can pull out my pocket when I need to. You know, so um, so anyway, 
That's just a little example of a past victory. So traditions aren't inherently bad, okay? So um, there are places in the scriptures where even Paul says to hold fast to the traditions that I've taught to you. Hold fast to the things that I've passed on to you. God encouraged the children of Israel, you know, in their journey when they were crossing over Jordan to memorialize it. Um, So let's take a look right now at uh, Joshua 4. I'll show you a picture of this. And so this is, they were crossing over into the the promised land. They were crossing the Jordan. And um, starting in verse 1, he said, When all the nation had finished passing over Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the where the priest's foot stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people whom he had appointed from each tribe. And Joshua said to him, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God. And in the midst of Jordan, take up each of the stones upon your shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when you when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so and if you continue from verse 19 to 24, after they came through, that's exactly what they did. In verse 21 you know, verse 20 it says, those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal where they were camping that night. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan for un- for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for us when it passed over. So basically he's saying, do this and remember the goodness of God. Remember the testimonies of God. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with keeping a record of that. These markers in our journey, they're important for us, um, for us to not forget his benefits and that kind of thing. We overcome by the word of our testimony, right? But there's also admonitions in the word of God to forget those things that are behind us and press forward to the things that are ahead. So um, we, in order to be able to continue to grow in Christ, we have to let go of the things in the past. In order to be able to cross over Jordan, they had to leave where they were. Right? So, so there's always a pressing forward and a letting go when we're progressing in God. So the Bible doesn't say that traditions are evil, just like money isn't evil. However, the problem comes when they take God's place in our heart. When the tradition takes God's place in our heart, traditions have their place, but it's not God's place. Okay. So there's a um, there's a picture of this in the Word of God. Um, we're going to look at um, it. 
it sometimes comes when you hold on to something longer than its usefulness, like the like Mary cutting off the meat. <laughs> you know, it's like it wasn't necessary to cut off the meat anymore. But you hold on to something longer than its usefulness. It has no power anymore. We, you need to let it go. And when we do that, when we hold on to it too long, it becomes an idol to us. So let's take a look real quick at um, at Numbers 21. And this is the story of uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And starting in verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea to, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient along the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Well, that's the manna they were saying it was worthless. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned, we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take the serpents from us. So Moses paid, prayed for the people. And the Lord said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the to the bronze serpent, and he would live, and he didn't die. Okay. So God brought an amazing deliverance to his people through this miracle. If you just look at this sculpture, you're going to live. Now, fast forward 700 years. Second Corinthians or Second Kings, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 18, and this is talking about um, the beginning of the reign of King Hezekiah. Um, he was 25 years old at the when he began to reign, and um, go to verse three. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. So this is you know King David's descendant. First thing he did, he removed the high places, broke the images, and cut down the Ashereth poles. So that's a sacred pole to the goddess goddess Asherah. And he broke down into pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it, and he called it Nehushtan. Okay, so now here this this sculpture that Moses made as a symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ, anybody who looks on it will live. Now the children of Israel are now worshiping it. This Nehushtan, which means a piece of bronze. It's just a bronze thing. So they didn't call it Nehushtan. They called, they, they were burning incense to it. When uh, King Hezekiah came in to knock it down, he called it, he said, it's just a piece of brass. It's just a brass thing. So um, in verse 5, it says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, none like him among all the kings of Judah and none nor any who were before him. So he was a good king. So it's amazing to me that Something that God used as a means of deliverance to the children of Israel later became an object of worship and ended up taking God's place in their heart. But that's something that still happens to us today. Um, we will pick up a religious form. We will take something that God led us into and used for a specific situation. And instead of continuing to follow the shepherd and his voice for the next step, we cling tightly to that thing. 
that religious activity or principle um, to the point that the brass takes the place of God in our heart. And we forsake his leading and to worship Nehushtan. So um, like I was saying, you know, if you need a breakthrough or you need a healing and God prompts you to do something and you exercise your faith in a certain way and then you keep trying to work that same muscle all the time, not the faith muscle, but now I, you know, if I, I prayed for three days straight without eating and I got my breakthrough, so I'm going to keep doing that every time I need a breakthrough. It's not always going to work like that. Of course, he always delivers and he always heals. But we cannot put God in a box. Um, he made up his mind that he's always going to help us. But we can't make up our mind this is the way he's going to help us. He's going to do it this way because this is just how he does. This is how we do This is how our relationship is and this is how he has to come through for me. Um, when you restrict him, you're really restricting yourself. You're not able to see when he comes in to rescue you. The purpose of the bronze serpent in the wilderness was for the afflicted to look away from their pain and their judgment and look up. And the serpent on the pole represented our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of any leading of the Holy Spirit is to bring our attention back to Jesus. So let's take a look at Jesus talking about him being the serpent on the pole. In John 3, starting in verse 14, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. In uh, John chapter 12, Starting in verse 31, he's again talking about his death. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And if I if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And he said this signifying by what death he would die. Now, just as a little side note here, um, if you look at a printed Bible, the word peoples is italicized, which means it was added by the translators. Um, it really that there was nothing there. It really is that I, if I be lifted up from the earth, all will draw unto me, all will draw unto me. So the translator said, all what? All men? <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, so yeah, it could be all peoples. I'm drawing all peoples to myself. But it, but in the context of what he's saying, it could be I'm drawing all judgment to myself. Now is the judgment of this world. And if I'm lifted up, I will draw it all into me. Just the same way the serpents were judging the people. If you look up, he was drawing that judgment into himself. Bronze is a representation of judgment. So, and the mirror translation of this verse, it says, now is the judgment of this world. And this is the moment where the ruler of this world system is cons- conclusively cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment into me. This he said to point to the way in which he would die. So, again, the purpose is to draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the purpose of any leading is to lead us to Jesus because he gave us um, the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. Um, in John 16, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you things yet to come. And he will glorify me, for he will receive what is mine and tell it to you. 
So we don't ever have to be concerned about being in the dark about things. You know, the Holy Spirit is here to help us and to teach us and to show us what we need. In the wilderness, the fiery serpents bit the children of Israel as a judgment because they had rejected the manna. The manna represents our day-to-day dependence on the Father. The children of Israel despised it and called it worthless. They didn't value God's grace provision um, of that bread from heaven. In John 6, verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But here is the bread that has come down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live for all time. And the bread that I give is my flesh given on behalf of the life of the world. So he is the man and we can't reject him and, and turn away from him. He is what we need. So now let's take a look at this. What happens then when our tradition collides with the truth of God's word? Um, throughout our walk with God, we'll pick up customs and patterns and traditions. And like I said, it's not inherently wrong. It's not wrong to pick up a pattern or a method of doing things. That's how the Methodists became Methodists. <laughs> they had a method of doing things. They had a pattern of doing things. And it's okay to have a pattern and a structure in your life. Um, but when it when it collides with the word of God, and like I said, sometimes it's a belief system. And when God reveals his truth to you and you have a belief system, then you have to choose which way are you going to go. And... Um, so let me read my notes. Um, we can't just hold on to what was passed down. We have to cling to Jesus. So I was listening to a message, and, and the minister, he explained this really cool. Um, he was saying, think of your tradition as your favorite comfortable chair that you have in your bedroom. And one day Jesus comes to you and says, you know, it's time to get rid of that chair. And you tell the Lord, it's my favorite chair. I love it. I, <laughs> I love it. I love to, to sleep in it sometimes. And he'll say, Okay, and he'll he'll go away, and then pretty soon you get up in the middle of the night and you hit your toe on the chair, and it starts getting in your way. And Jesus said, "How do you feel about that chair? You want to get rid of that chair?" But no, I I really like that chair. My mom gave me that chair, and I got sentimental attachment to it. I don't want to get rid of my chair. And so then the room starts feeling smaller with the chair, in it. and then Jesus says, "What do you think? Does it think it's time to get rid of that chair?" And he said. I want to keep, I, I'll just move it over closer to the wall. You know, I want to keep it. Well, we'll move it over this way. And finally, Jesus says, I can't move the furniture in that I want to move in. We're living together now. And I can't move my stuff in with this in here. So do you want to keep that chair or do you want what I have for you? Okay. So that I thought was so good because there are so many things that we hold on to that are precious to us. But when he comes in, he said, I've got something more for you. You know, I've got something good for you. We we yield to Jesus. We get in an emotional moment or something. We say, I surrender all. <laughs> you know, you say, you can have it all, Jesus, whatever you want. And he believes you. And, <laughs> and he warns us that our tradition makes the word of God powerless and ineffectual in our life. So what happens when Jesus says something different from what your dad said or what your pastor said or what you what you believe, what are you going to do about that? How long are you going to negotiate to keep your chair? You know, when we surrender to God, all of a sudden, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. 
and you are confronted with the reality that you may be wrong about some things. There are things that you need to learn. You need to grow. There's a, um, he wants to increase our capacity. He wants to increase our territory. And that means kind of sometimes looking like you're deconstructing before you're structuring. There's a tear down and an uproot before you build and plant. And so what happens when stuff starts shaking? Do you defend and try to reinforce what's shaking or do you kind of just let it tumble? And wait till the dust settles and then build on what's left because we know that God has good things for us. He's not doing anything just to hurt you and to take your stuff away from you. He's doing these things for your good. So um, I was looking at when I was doing the word study on tradition, I found this um, version of Paul's testimony found in Galatians that I thought was really good. Uh, we can't walk in our tradition and a revelation of Jesus Christ at the same time. So as he reveals where all the old stuff comes off and we're transformed as we behold him. So if we look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11, um, Paul starts, he said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not by man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. So remember our definition of tradition is something that's been taught to us or passed down to us or something that we've picked up along the way. So he said, it wasn't passed down to me. It wasn't taught to me. I received it through revelation. So Paul makes it clear that his the gospel that he received was not by tradition. Okay, It was not passed down from any man. He wasn't, it wasn't hearsay. This was something that he received as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's going to contrast um, the gospel revelation from the tradition of Judaism. So in continuing verse 13, he said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to, to, tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So he was very zealous for the traditions of his father. But when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus. For at Then after three years, then I went to Jerusalem to visit with Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. I'm telling you the truth. And when I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, and was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, but they were, but they only were hearing it saying, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they all glorified God because of me. Okay, so I, I thought this was really good. Paul was zealous for the traditions, and so much so that he was he was doing his best to destroy 
the church of God. But when he was confronted with the light of revelation of Jesus Christ, he stayed with that revelation. He didn't go and try to compare it with somebody else's revelation. He didn't try to go and get somebody else's approval on the revelation. He sat with it and let the Lord continue to enlighten his heart and let those things that um, I, I believe it was a time where he, the Lord was really stripping him of a lot of these, the zealousness toward the law that he had. He was kind of letting that light just wash over him and, and get that junk out of him. All the prejudices, you know, at that time, you know, the Jews and Gentiles, there was so much prejudice there. And he was sent to the Gentiles, the people that he, you know, had considered less than people. So God had to really uproot some of these mindsets that he had, traditions and mindsets that he had picked up in order to be an effective minister of the new covenant. So um, so he received the gospel and everybody glorified God because he was preaching the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes into your life, he is disruptive. Okay, Jesus is disruptive. <laughs> it's not something we always think about, but he is. He confronted Paul on his way to persecute the church. Imagine what would have happened if if Paul didn't respond the way that he did. If he chose to hold on to his tradition and walk away blind. <laughs> you know, basically he was blinded. He didn't go to Ananias. He didn't go. He just was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not changing. Then he would or he would try to or if he tried to morph the the gospel and like make it a Moses 2.0 marry it together with the law or something like that two-thirds of the New Testament that we have we wouldn't have anymore you know the gospel of grace that he preached we wouldn't have access to it Oops, sorry that's still closed it's okay <laughs> but you know there were so many so many things that you look at that was dependent on him being willing to let go of tradition and not let that hinder him from fulfilling his call when Jesus was choosing his disciples he found people in the middle of their job and said come follow me and they dropped everything that they were doing and followed the Lord he came and interrupt what they were doing because he had something better for them. This doesn't only happen when we first give our life to Christ. It happens continually throughout our walk with him. We always have to remember, like I said, when he interrupts our life, it's for our good. Okay, He comes to bring us life more abundantly. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, and I will be found by you. You will find me, you will find me and I will be found by you. And in the end of captivity, I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again into your own land. So when when his plans for us are to establish us, therefore, hope and a good future. They're not for disaster. And sometimes when everything around us is shaking, it looks like disaster. But it's not for our disaster. It's for our good. It's for our rebuilding. Jesus enhances our life and show us, shows us things about himself, about his heart. And he shows us things about ourself that we don't know that are more beautiful than we could imagine. He does exceeding and abundantly above all we can ask or think. So what do you do when your tradition is in jeopardy (laughs) because of Jesus? First of all, you repent. 
you change your mind. This comes, there's a willingness to accept God's truth that he's bringing to you. Release your grip on the things that you held on to, the unfruitful traditions that you've held on to that are contrary to God's word. Our willingness to let go of these patterns and mindsets in favor of the revelation is crucial in our transformation process. We will get stuck if we don't, if we're not willing to let go of these things. And we go, we're supposed to grow from faith to faith and glory to glory. And as we behold him, we are transformed. We can't live from a place of tradition. We can't live from somebody somebody said or something you picked up here there and everywhere we have to live out of the revelation of jesus christ that just live by faith so we can't be so principle driven that we miss the author and the finisher of our faith we can't worship god we can't worship our tradition and still walk with jesus okay our willingness to let go of our patterns and our mindsets in favor of the revelation of jesus is crucial for our transformation The second thing that we do is we say yes and amen to truth, okay? So amen means so it is, so be it, and may it be fulfilled. Amen. So we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That's why through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God to God for his glory. Let me say that again. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Jesus is the yes and we bring the amen so be it to his truth and his plan and his promises. So I, I found this in my notes. It says um, it the about the word amen It was a custom which was passed down from the synagogues to the Christian churches. And, um, so that the, so that when he read, when he who read or discoursed had offered up a solemn prayer to God, the others responded with an amen and thus made the substance of what was uttered their own. So it's kind of like what, um, Pastor David was talking about. Thank you for the biscuit. You grab it. You know, your amen is you're grabbing it off the table for yourself. When you say amen, you're saying it's mine. Okay. When you say amen to something, you're saying it's mine. That's why also you got to be careful what you say amen to, you know, because sometimes, sometimes stuff is said and, and, and you don't have to amen that. You don't have to amen any, everything that's, that you hear. Um, so you say it's mine. It's my truth. It's true for me. The a, well, word amen is a most remarkable word. It is transliterated directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament and then into Latin and into English and all the other translations so that it is practically a universal word. I just think this is really neat how God does it. It's the word amen, every language has amen. So every every tribe and tongue can say yes, amen to the word of God for themselves. I just think that's so good. And so it has been called the best known word in human speech. The word directly related, in fact, most identical to the Hebrew word for believe, aman, or faithful. Thus, it came to be, mean sure, truly, an expression of absolute trust and confidence. You say amen, you, you are putting your absolute trust and confidence in what has been said. You're saying amen, I trust that that's true, and it's so for me. 
Amen. All right. So we're going to look at that verse again in the message translation, then we'll close up. In 2 Corinthians 1 20, verse 20 through 22, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes in Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen. God's yes and our yes together, great, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ and putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to be complete. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. All right. So this, we're going to land right here and we'll finish up next week. Amen.